This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. The latest Avengers movie made over a billion dollars within its first week of being in the theaters. One billion. The entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, which so far is 23 separate but linked different movies, has grossed over $8 billion. And that's just one company. So whether you're a hardcore comic book fan and you love superheroes or, or not, there's something about superheroes that seems to speak to us. It doesn't matter if you prefer Superman or Captain America, Batman or Spider-Man, even though he's the best. We're drawn to these characters for whatever reason. Maybe it's their, their superpowers and their abilities, and we love to see how they, that those came to be. Or maybe it's their moral compass and their willingness to, to stand up for what's right and never give up, do whatever it takes. Or maybe we love to just watch to figure out how it is they're going to save the day or, or how they're going to react to not saving the day and all those kinds of things. Whatever it is, we understand that it's entertaining and it's captivating. And, you know, sometimes I think we can approach characters in the Bible this way, and we can kind of view them with a lens where we elevate them to almost this level of superheroes. Now, many people in the Bible are definitely admirable and probably pretty good examples for us to, to follow, but some really are not. And during this series, we're going to look at four characters who are actually anything but superheroes. And as we do this, we're going to likely see ourselves in this. We're going to see flaws, failures, and weaknesses revealed. But also, we're going to see how these characters point out our desperate need for Jesus, the ultimate superhero, the only one who's worthy of our worship and our devotion. So today we're going to kick off this series by looking at Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, please turn them to Jonah chapter 1. Now, contrary to a lot of of kids' Sunday school decor, Jonah is a story that's not actually primarily about a a giant fish or or whale. It's actually about the will of God and how we respond to it. And it's also about the love of God and how we share it. Jonah is a pretty well-known character and story within the church and even without in normal culture. In fact, in the very first Avengers movie, Iron Man asks his artificial intelligence counterpart if he had ever heard of the tale of Jonah. To which the AI responds, I wouldn't consider him a role model. (laughs) Even a computer system in a movie knew that Jonah really wasn't someone to look up to, that he was anyone but a superhero. And as we dive into this story, we're going to see that Jonah's lack of obedience and lack of compassion demonstrate to us that he truly is anything but a superhero. So let's look at chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 to 3. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So our story begins with some direct disobedience from Jonah. He gets a clear word from God with clear instructions of what to do, and he clearly disobeys them. 
This isn't unintentional disobedience. It's not accidental disobedience. It's not ignorant disobedience. This is complete defiance, direct disobedience. God has spoken, and I'm doing the opposite thing. He goes down to the harbor, and he buys a one-way ticket to Tarshish. Basically, it's like he's saying, can I have a one-way ticket to not Nineveh, please? (laughs) This is very unsuperhero-like. Most superheroes, when there's an issue, when there's a crisis, when there's a warning, they rise to the challenge. Whether they're outnumbered, they're outgunned, whatever it is, they push on, they keep fighting, they try to rally others to the cause, and they'll even be willing to stand alone to fight for what's right if that's necessary. But not Jonah. He runs the other way. But why? Why did Jonah disobey? Why was he so against going to Nineveh? Well, Nineveh was a major city in Assyria. The Assyrians were some of Israel's worst enemies who would eventually invade and defeat Israel in 721 BC. And they were known far and wide for their sinful, violent, and horrific practices. They were not a merciful people. They would impale survivors on poles and leave them to roast to death in the desert sun. They would behead people in large numbers and stack their skulls in piles by the city gates. And it's reported that they even skinned people alive. These were the Assyrians. So this information might help us understand a bit more why Jonah might resist the call to go to Nineveh. (laughs) Maybe he was scared for his own safety. Hey, I'm an Israelite. We're enemies with them. I don't know what's going to happen to me, so I don't want to go. Perhaps. But I think it's more likely that he didn't want to go because he didn't like them. They were enemies of Israel, his enemies. I don't want to go there. I don't want to tell them about God. No way. And even though we can get some information and understand someone's disobedience, understand their motivation for disobedience, it doesn't make the disobedience any more acceptable. It's still disobedience. And we do this. We try to justify our disobedience. Well, it's because of this. Well, it's because of this. Well, it's because of this. But it's still disobedience. And we are called to obey God when he speaks, when he calls us, regardless if that assignment seems to be scary, difficult, dangerous, or even crazy. Christians are disciples of Jesus Christ. And obedience is a non-negotiable aspect of discipleship. I'm going to say that again. Obedience is a non-negotiable aspect of discipleship. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Teaching them to obey. The reality is God has clearly spoken to each of us through his word. He has given us universal commands to his people, and he he expects us to follow that. Now, he may also give specific callings and specific commands to specific individuals at specific times, and those are to be obeyed as well. But I want to be clear before we get too carried away. We don't obey in order to earn God's favor. We don't obey in order to earn our salvation. We can't do that. We can't obey enough to do that. We've all sinned. We're all tainted with the stain of sin. We don't do that. Jesus perfectly came and he obeyed in our place for us. And by faith, when we believe in who Jesus is and what he has done, we actually become the children of God. And as we understand and receive the mercy of God and become his children, as a response, we learn to follow and obey his ways. That's how the process works. But it is in obeying the will of God that we also, we find spiritual nourishment and blessing. 
There's gladness and there's joy when you know that you're walking in obedience to God. Just as there might be sorrow and regret and even guilt when you know that you're walking in disobedience to God. Right? And, it, and obedience is not always easy. Like, can we get amens for that? Sometimes it's difficult to obey. But obedience is still always best because God's ways are best. He knows what's best because he is the best. And we've got to remember, especially if God does call us into something that's a little bit more difficult, that the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God can't keep you and the power of God can't use you. As the old hymn says, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So our story continues. Jonah gets on the boat, heading away from Nineveh. God sends a massive storm. The sailors are freaking out. He realizes, hey, the storm is likely because of me and my disobedience. Guys, toss me overboard, and the storm will probably end. They reluctantly finally do. See you later, Jonah. And the storm does stop, and it seems like it's over for Jonah. But then God sends this giant fish, whale, sea creature, whatever it was exactly, we're not sure, swallows Jonah, and he remains in the belly of this thing for three days. And it's while he's in there that he prays, that he confesses his sin, that he repents to God. And then God tells this fish, this whale, to spit Jonah up. Chapter 2, verse 10, it says, The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. What a ride that must have been. (laughs) If he had a cape, it would have been Super Jonah. Okay. God gives Jonah a second chance. That's the main point there, though. Even though he originally disobeyed, he receives a fresh start. He learns an important lesson about God, that God is forgiving, that he's gracious, that he's merciful. We've sung about that this morning. His mercy, how his loving kindness leads us to repentance. Repentance, turning from sin, turning back to God. Fresh starts, second chances. Thankfully with God, it's not one and done. Well, you blew it, see you later. You had your one shot. No. George Morrison has said, the victorious Christian life is simply a series of new beginnings. And maybe you're here this morning and and you can identify with that. You're saying, you know what? I need a new beginning today. I need a fresh start. Maybe you're going, yeah, I can can relate to Jonah. I've been walking in disobedience. I need to confess that. I I need to repent. I need to to own it and cry out to God for mercy. And I just don't, don't delay. Don't let the day go by without doing that. Come to Jesus. We all need second chances. We all need fresh starts. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And his mercy is available. Because of this great mercy, because of Jesus coming and paying for our disobedience, paying for our rebellion, dying on the cross, when we confess, when we genuinely repent and call out for mercy, we receive that much-needed mercy and that grace. And we receive second chances and fresh starts to learn to obey again. See, just like Jonah, you can have a fresh start today. His mercy is new every morning. Every morning. Jonah got his second chance. What does Jonah do with his second chance? Is he going to obey now and head to Nineveh? Yes, he will. But as chapter 3 unfolds, we see that there's still some reluctance on his part, or we could say 
there's now a half-hearted obedience to what he does. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Good job. According to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. This place is big. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Okay, so Jonah goes, he does obey, but he gives probably the shortest sermon in history. Maybe he said some more, but it's not recorded. This is what we're given the information. He walks up to the city and he says, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And walks away. That's it. There's no explanation given that it's specifically because of their their evil and their wicked ways against God. There's no invitation given about um, repent or cry out for mercy or, or ask God to forgive you. There's no talk of any of that. Just, hey, you guys are doomed. Bye. And yet, verse 5 tells us that the entire city believed. And they responded with repentance, with fasting, putting on sackcloth. These are universal symbols of sorrow and repentance. Oh my goodness, this is going to happen. What are we going to do? And now again, we don't know with 100% certainty what all of Jonah's motivations were here. But it seems like his obedience, he's just obeying kind of out of duty. That it's half-hearted obedience. He's not joyfully all in with this assignment. These are people that he still views as enemies. And so maybe he thought, okay, God, I'll go and I'll tell them that uh, you know, they're going to get wiped out and that's their warning, but, but that's all I'm doing. They don't get anything else. So whatever. They deserve to be wiped out. And that's what he does. So then we ask ourselves, though, what about us? When we obey, how do we obey? Do we simply obey out of duty? Half-heartedly. Well, you know, I should do it, so I guess I'll do it. I don't really want to do it, but but I'm going to do it. Or do we obey with joy and a glad trust that we know that God is best and his ways are best and that they work and they should be trusted and followed? Honestly, I'm just, sometimes I obey half-heartedly. I'm not really feeling it. I'm just going through the motions not very passionate, don't have a a ton of desire to say, yes, I want to obey Jesus today. Sometimes I just obey because I should obey. And yes, half-hearted obedience is still much better than direct disobedience, absolutely. But the goal is glad obedience and joyful submission to the will of God. As Ephesians 6, 6 says, we're called to do the will of God from the heart, from the heart. We're not called just to obey and be disgruntled about it. We're called to obey from the heart. It's been said that the heart of every problem is the problem of the heart. Our attitudes. This is clearly the issue for Jonah. And yes, God can and he does use reluctant people, half-hearted obedience in mighty ways as evidence in this story. Like he didn't even want to go. He can use anyone and anything to, to accomplish his plans regardless of the state of their heart. But it is so much sweeter when there's gladness and willingness in that obedience. I think about kids, our own kids. 
different chores or tasks you might ask them to do, the attitude to which they do it. Hey, it's time to set the table. Fine, I'll set the table. Here's your fork, and here's your plate, Noel. You're sitting there, and what? Whoa. Like, it it still gets set. The table still gets set. That's required. That's going to happen. But the attitude of how they do it versus we say, okay, guys, it's time to set the table. Dinner's almost ready. And sometimes, not every time, sometimes they go, okay. And they grab the fork and they go, hey, Noel, what cup do you want? Okay, Joab, do you want it? And it's just this pleasant experience. It's like, what a contrast. The attitude of the heart in the obedience. Same result, though. Same result. Still obedience, but the attitude behind it. And the story progresses, and the king now hears about this. And then he, he declares uh, this amazing statement of verse, verse 8. He, he's talking, he says, Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone, everyone, turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Remember the type of violence that these people were doing. Let everybody stop that. Who knows, he says, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Who knows? Maybe if we all cry out, we won't be doomed. Maybe. So let's go. Let's all turn. And verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So you would think at this point, Jonah would be pumped. The city won't be destroyed, but actually delivered. Any superhero in this moment would be rejoicing tremendously, experiencing great relief. <gasps> we did it! We saved the city! I, was, I, I played a role in, in stopping this disaster. But Jonah is no superhero. He's not happy at all. In fact, he's angry, and he actually shows disdain towards God's mercy in chapter 4. Disdain to God's mercy. Verse 1 to 4, chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So he's actually mad that God saved a whole bunch of people. He's mad that God spares them. He says, This is why I ran away in the first place. I knew this would happen. I know you, God. Like he, Jonah actually had pretty good theology. He understood who God was and how he operated. I know you're gracious. I know you're merciful. The, the ridiculousness of, of Jonah and the irony is, is just stunning. So you think about this. Remember, Jonah disobeyed, but then he goes into the water, and then the, the whale fish, whatever it is, swallows him, and God saves him and gives him a second chance. So it's okay for Jonah to receive grace and mercy and a fresh start and a second chance, but it's not okay when an entire city recognizes their sin and repents and calls out to mercy for God. It's not okay for them to receive mercy. Double standard here. Jonah wanted these people to be destroyed. People have said that he was simply just a narrow-minded patriot that either didn't understand God's love for all peoples or didn't care because he didn't have love for all peoples. He says he's so distraught, so angry, that he would rather die than see the city saved. And so he goes outside of the city to watch 
to see what's God going to do. Maybe God will still nuke this place. Let's find out. And while he's doing that, he's just sulking in anger. And God graciously provides a plant to grow and give him shade and the scorching sun. And then a worm comes and eats the plant, and Jonah is mad again. It says, he says he's better for him to die again. Look at verse 9 to 11. So God then talks to him about this plant. God says to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. The plant's gone. (sighs) Jonah. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? He's saying, Jonah, you are all worked up about the wrong things. You're mad about a plant that you didn't even plant or nurture or help grow or anything. You should be mad and and, and care and have pity about 120,000 people that don't know me. God's saying, that's what I care about. I created them. I love them. I want them to know me. And the book ends. It ends with this rhetorical question meant for each of us to answer on our own. What about us? We put the mirror up. Are we concerned about the eternal state of those who don't know and follow Jesus? Do we desire for the millions of other people in the world, who aren't following Jesus today, to know the grace and mercy that Jesus offers? Or do we want to keep it for ourselves? Well, I mean, I believe in Jesus, but so I, I know where I'm going, so that's good. Do we desire for other people to know? And do we genuinely rejoice when other people follow Jesus, when they become Christians? And we might say, yes, but what about it's people we didn't expect or people we don't like? What do you mean, they're a Christian now? I don't know about that. (laughs) By the way, somebody said the same thing when you became a Christian too. Yeah. See, it's easy for us to slam on Jonah here for being anything but a superhero. But would we be pumped if our super grouchy boss or our ridiculously rude neighbor or the really mean school bully or the absent or abusive parent turned to believe in Jesus? Would we be pumped about that? And would we be the ones willing to tell them, willing to go? See, this has hit me hard. Do I really want Jesus to save the Ninevites in my life, in my life, whatever that is, if they're across the world or across the street? Those who currently don't know their right hand from their left, who are just all about sin and wickedness, and at first glance you're just like, wow, they're messed up. Or do we just want them to get what's coming to them? Well, judgment's coming. And you walk away. Jonah learned a lot in this journey, but one of the lessons that he didn't seem to learn was God's compassion for lost sinners how much compassion he had, and how God's people are also called to have compassion on lost sinners. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to uh, attend an extended family reunion and learn more about my family history. I found out that my great-great-uncle on my mom's side, Cecil Dye, 
was actually a pastor in Michigan in the Saginaw area who felt called by the Lord to become a missionary in Bolivia in the 1940s. So he went with his wife and three young kids and a team of others, and they were actually part of the team that created the missionary organization that would become to known as New Tribes Mission. Maybe you've heard of that. He was willing to take the gospel to those who had yet to hear it. And when they were in Bolivia, they learned of a tribe that no missionary had ever reached yet. So Cecil and four other men, they went for it. They packed up. They said, let's go in the jungle. Let's search for this tribe. Let's bring them the message of Jesus, the message of hope. Did not end well. All five men were brutally killed by the tribe, leaving widows and children fatherless. Later on, however, as people heard about what happened, more missionaries were inspired to continue the work. And they went to Bolivia, and they found the people. And more people in that tribe actually did later put their trust in Jesus. And just recently, it was reported, 70 years later, that a descendant of one of those original tribal members has actually just enrolled to become an international worker, to be a missionary to other unreached people groups. And I think about this, and I think, wow, this heritage of my family that I didn't fully understand. And I think, this Cecil's story is incredible, and it's inspiring. He would have been the first one to say, hey, I'm just simply following the ultimate example. I'm just following Jesus He's the superhero. Yeah, I left Michigan, the comfort of the states, to go to the unknown in Bolivia. But Jesus left the glory of heaven to come to earth to rescue us. He's the one that we need to emulate and follow. And, he, and the symbolism of Jesus and his sacrifice shows up all over the place. So we, talked about talking about, we started with talking about these superhero movies. When we watch some of these superhero movies... It's interesting how the main character will often sacrifice themselves or be willing to sacrifice themselves. Maybe they actually die in the movie or maybe they don't die. They come close, they get injured, whatever it is. But there's a pretty overt Christian symbolism in a lot of these movies. We've got a couple of pictures to show here. We've got, uh, this is, if you can't really see it, this is Superman in space, Jesus pose on the cross. Uh, we've got another one of Superman, again, in space, Jesus, after he sacrificed himself, like Jesus. We have one of Spider-Man saving the day on a subway. And we got another one, Spider-Man, arms outstretched, trying to hold a ferry together. Pretty clear symbolism of what they're going for. And it's not accidental. One writer has noted, these movies contain a pattern of sacrifice, death, and in some cases, resurrection, which indicates where Western fiction has arrived after 2,000 years, with Jesus as the archetypal hero. The protagonists in these movies share at least one of Jesus' values and virtues. These movies remind us who the real hero is, Jesus. Jonah was unwilling to go, perhaps because he was scared, or perhaps because he didn't like the Assyrians. Cecil Dye was willing, but he didn't know what was going to happen. He was willing to sacrifice if necessary. I believe that my great-great-uncle Cecil is a step up from Jonah, But Jesus, Jesus knew. He knows everything. He knows everything about everyone. He knew with absolute certainty what was going to happen to him. The pain, the suffering, the rejection, the death, bearing the weight of our sin and facing the wrath of God. And he still went. 
You see, it's one thing to have this kind of superhero, bold, courageous attitude. Well, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but, but I'm going. We're going for it. It's another thing, quite another thing, to know exactly what kind of horror you're going to face and still go. And still go. This is why Jesus is greater than Jonah. This is why Jesus is the ultimate superhero. Jonah had this half-hearted obedience, but Jesus always did whatever pleased his father. Jonah didn't love the people from the heart, but Jesus was full of compassion and willingly laid down his life while we were yet sinners. Jonah waited outside the city to see if God would kill the Ninevites. Jesus hung on a cross outside the city and prayed that God would forgive the people that were killing him. This is why we worship and obey him. This is why we give our lives and sacrifice to tell others about him. Because he's the best. The author of salvation, the way, the truth, and the life, our only hope, the great and glorious king of the universe, the one, true, ultimate, everlasting superhero. This is Jesus. And like I said, early this morning, his, he is merciful and he gives second chances. And we talked about maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you need a second chance. You need a fresh start. I'm going to give you an opportunity to kind of respond in a tangible way. I'm, not just yet, but in a moment, I'm going to invite you to actually stand as a, as a physical declaration of your dependence on the mercy of Jesus. For you to say, you know what? I have been walking in disobedience. I need Jesus. I need you to forgive me. Would you forgive me? And to, and to cry out to mercy. And the other side of this is maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what? If I'm honest, my heart has not really been full of compassion for the lost. My heart's been hard or calloused. And maybe you need a fresh start for, and to ask God by his spirit to give you a soft heart, a broken heart. And maybe that's you. And you're going to need to stand this morning or you feel like you need to stand. You know, I, I'll be honest. I confessed a bunch of stuff late last night, me and the Lord, as I was getting ready and I was like, ah, I can't. I've disobeyed. I've disobeyed so much. And, and my heart hasn't been beating warmly and softly towards those who are lost the way that it should. So I'm going to sit so that I can stand. Because I need to stand today. So I'm standing saying I need a fresh start. And I don't know. If anyone is willing to stand with me, I invite you to stand right now. I'm going to pray for us as you stand. As we stand, fresh start. I've been walking in disobedience. My heart's been cold. We're going to sing a song after we pray, again about the mercy of God, again about how great our Savior is. This is your chance to stand. Jesus, I need a second chance. I need a fresh start. I'm just going to own it. I'm going to acknowledge my sin. I'm going to acknowledge my hard heart and ask you to, to forgive me. Let's pray. Father God, I want to pray for every single person who's standing this morning. For everybody who's standing, for walking in disobedience. Thank you for your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. 
God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for second chances. Thank you for sending Jesus who paid the ultimate price for our sin, for all of our disobedience. I pray that you would minister to each person here by your Holy Spirit, that you would draw us into a closer walk with you, a walk of obedience. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to obey you from the heart. And for those who are standing here this morning, acknowledging that maybe there's a a lack of compassion, a lack of concern towards the lost, soften our hard hearts. Help us to see people as you see them. Help us to not be concerned about the plants in our lives, our own agendas, our own preferences, but about the people that you have placed in our lives. Grant us fresh compassion. Compassion that will propel us to act. Compassion that will propel us to speak the truth of who you are, Jesus. God, I pray that you would change us. June 9th, 2019 could be a significant day. Change us so that we love like you do. Help us to to follow you closely. Give us a, a true and a pure motivation and desire to make more disciples, to bring more glory to your name. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.